This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here. I empower leaders to turn indifferent customers into loyal fans. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights and wisdom. We give you practical tips and proven frameworks and share ways to help you delight your customers. Fred Reicheld is the creator of the Net Promoter System of Management, the founder of Bain & Company's Loyalty Practice, and the author of five books, including the New York Times bestseller, The Ultimate Question, 2.0. He's on the Mount Rushmore of customer experience, as far as I'm concerned. And there is so much to pull out of today's episode that's useful and practical, and you might learn some things you didn't expect. I know I did. We talk about his new book, Winning on Purpose, what he calls financial capitalism, the pioneer's edge for leading companies, and he gets vulnerable with some personal challenges. Let's jump right in. Well, I am so excited today to have Fred Reicheld on the Delighted Customers podcast. Um, Really, if you've been in the customer experience world for any period of time, Fred does not need any introduction uh, and so excited about his new book, Winning on Purpose. We're going to talk about that a little bit, but first, Fred, welcome to the Delighted Customers podcast. Good to be here, Mark. Thank you. Absolutely. And, you know, early on in the book, uh, Fred, you 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 get very personal very quick. Um, you you talk about uh, a personal story about your sense of urgency for writing this book, and we're going to talk more about what white space there was for the content. But more importantly, um, you know, you you were overcoming a personal battle, and you felt a sense sense of urgency. And it resonated with me, but first, I'd like you to share from your perspective, if you, whatever you might feel comfortable sharing with the audience. Sure, I, I shared it in the book. Um, I got a cancer diagnosis, and uh, it was a point in my life where it would have made sense to retire because it takes all your energy to, to fight through that if you get lucky enough to make it. Um, but it actually spurred me on to uh, get committed to writing that book, Winning on Purpose. And the reason was it just, it was a reminder for me, but I, you know, it's probably a reminder for everybody. Your, your days are limited. What do you want to accomplish while you have the energy and the time? And the, the, the movement that I, I think we, we kickstarted in, in delighting customers and, and measuring progress based on loving customers, making their lives better. It was getting off on the wrong course. There were people who were saying, oh, I've adopted Net Promoter. What a great invention. And then they do it completely wrong and contrary to the, the philosophy behind it. So I, I felt like we really had to get it back on track. Yeah, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, and, um, and you did a great job and introduced some new concepts as well that, that weren't in the previous. But just going back to my own personal experience, um, thanking you profusely for the work that you did and the development of MPS, not only the development of MPS uh, back when when I started as a practitioner, shifting from consulting to work in a bank, um, 
but you know, promoting it and telling case studies. I remember a video I saw of you uh, at Rackspace, and then I think there was one of Schwab, and then um, what was the other one that you you shared? So, so really helpful stories of how impactful this whole idea of net promoter and and not the score, but net promoter system. Do you want to say more about that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and the the overarching message of winning on purpose is that it's not just NPS and and marketing success is one of 10 things you have to get right. It's the first, it's the foremost thing. It's the center of the universe. And, and the world doesn't see it that way way yet. Most companies think, yeah, I've got a lot of stakeholders. Customers are important, but so are shareholders and employees and, the environment and social governance issues, and they're all, and of course they are. And yet, if you don't pick one as the center of your purpose, your existence, you just start kidding yourself and you'll give mediocre results to all of those stakeholders. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so, so you did a good job of explaining um, why it's important to come back to that now and what the white space was for the book. Um, what do you think are the most common misperceptions that people and companies have about Net Promoter Score? Oh, I think they believe that you can make it a, a KPI or a, a bonus target. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and that's how you can get people to take it seriously. Uh, in fact, it destroys its credibility and, and uh, makes it a joke because surveys are so easy to manipulate and, and so few people understand the subtleties behind sample bias and response bias and you know, stuff that scientists and, and medical researchers understand, but they go to grad school for a couple of years to finally understand it. And, and a lot of people just don't understand this, the subtlety and the the soft nature of surveys, nor do they think carefully how hard it is for people to speak the truth and giving feedback um, when they know that it might hurt that person, you know, whether it's an Uber driver or a customer service rep at American Express, but if you link it to their bonus, then the customer is not going to give negative feedback. They're just going to give courtesy tens or courtesy five stars because, um, you know, frankly, what they're frustrated about is something other than that person that they're dealing with. It's something in the system or a, a process flaw. And, and so you, you basically shut down mm. the, the ability to, to gather honest, constructive feedback. Yeah. And, and for people who are CX leaders in organizations or responsible for leading the customer experience efforts, um, at a at a pretty high level, like what would you say is the best way for them to res- to to do a good job of collecting customer data? Would you say it's you know uh, typically what 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 I did and what many of us did was we ran it off a platform. We we pushed out surveys that had a closed feedback loop system, and um, we could set up when and how and who they went out to. Um, and now there's there's a lot of talk about uh, the 85 percent of people that we miss through, uh, you know, that are available in unstructured feedback. Um, you mean 99 percent of the people you miss? <laughs> well, people don't respond to surveys anymore. It's sort of it's nuts. Yeah. So what would be your recommendation? Uh, I th- I would start back where I, I wrote my first book called The Loyalty Effect. It was about the microeconomics of customers. 
and the relationships. And I would make sure that you and your C-suite understand and agree on the power of, uh, of earning customer loyalty and, and how vital that is to generating great returns uh, for your investors. That until you have those microeconomics well accepted and measured, all this survey stuff is sort of baloney. And you you knew this. You knew what made customers mad before. It's it's just it wasn't worth fixing it, or you thought you were constrained by the economic. You know, you had to earn your uh, your target uh, quarterly earnings per share. So you you can't skip over this basic reality that there is a a miraculous flywheel at the at the center of every successful business. It, it is, I call it the customer love flywheel. And the reason that's a miracle is because it is, it, it is this miracle of value create. It, it, when you treat customers right, they come back for more and refer their friends. And that is what grows a business. Accounting today completely misses that, goes right around it and sort of deflects off of it. And you can sort of see it in the corner of your eye, maybe, but it's not what we manage to. And, and I think everyone, you know, let's let's forget about surveys for a moment. Let's think about what is the core process behind a great business, and how are you going to measure um, advances and and declines, and and it's back for more and bring their friends. Yeah. So so those are like lagging indicators, right? Those are what they actually did with their feet. I would say referrals are very contemporary. Probably referral is the best indicator there is. If you want one signal in the world that captures the reality of not just now, but expectations going forward, are they referring you to their friends? Okay. And, and I want to get more into the earn growth um, model that you, that you described in the book. But, but before we do, um, I, want to, I want to circle back to this listening question because a lot of um, CX practitioners are, are struggling with what is the best way to listen to customers? There's you know, there's all sorts of ways we can listen or we can just look at the metrics um, of what they've done and how they're, you know, what their sort of operational metrics. Um, what, what are your thoughts about best ways to listen? You know, I was with the CEO of a really big retailer, one of the biggest retailers in the world. Uh, and she said, uh, you know, we learn from our surveys, but it's sort of biased because they, you know, it's it's not it's an awkward it's not natural mm -hmm. and uh, and there's social you, you don't want to get people in trouble and and so forth said so the place we get the real truth is when we can listen in on customers talking to other customers or prospective customers and if we can find ways and sometimes that's in message boards and there are different techniques mm. but that's where the truth lies and i think companies should be thinking carefully about how can i listen in to what people who are saying when they refer for us or refer against us. Mm, that's a great idea. So, and, and there's more and more of that uh, this day and age where there's forums and people writing reviews or in message boards and other places. Yeah. And I think there's one of the things that I think was very powerful in the early days of net promoter was you, you, you identify a detractor um, close the loop, you know, reach out with somebody senior enough to actually understand the system and what went wrong and, and get to the, the root cause, mm. apologize, fix it. That closed loop is brilliant. But we don't do that 
with referrals, which is even more important. When you do something that's so uh, remarkable that people go out and as an act of love refer a friend, um, you need to close the loop with the person who referred and the person who heard the referral with the same kind of thoughtful rigor. And that's where the listening is most leveraged. And I, I see very little of that today. Mm. So that um, that is a great point. There's a gap there, right? Um, and, and we might as well go ahead and jump into the earned growth uh, model because uh, what what you're saying there is that well, there's a whole conversation about corporate accounting and customer accounting. Uh, and you're, you're, and Rob Markey said the same thing about um, how we really need to shift our thinking in the way we measure great companies or company success. Say more about that. Well, if you think the central, the miraculous customer love flywheel, it, you know, customers coming back for more and bringing their friends, if you think that's the center of business success, you should measure it. And, and accounting doesn't today. I'm, my argument is, for heaven's sakes, you have the digital technology and all these fancy uh, tools. Um, why don't you take some of the budget that you're throwing at AI, cramming more stuff at customers and thinking you're succeeding because they, they're tricked into buying more than they want and say, why don't we take some of that and, and, and make sure we can account for this flywheel? What percentage of our customers are coming back and buying more? What percentage are referring their friends um, these are measurable things. Accountants should be able to figure it out. They just haven't decided it's important enough yet. Yeah, and, and so so in this in the in the book you talked about this this thing you've coined earned growth rate, and it's essentially two components, right? NRR, net uh, net recurring net retention, net revenue retention, net revenue retention, and. ENCR, earned new customer retention, those two components. So you want to break that down for the layman? Yeah, I need, I need another uh, name for that second one, but it's, it's basically back for more and refer their friends. Um, those are the two signals. You know, let's forget surveys for the moment and other kinds of listening. Yeah. You got to know if you've won or lost and you know you won or lost when they come back for more and bring their friends. So this customer-based accounting is just saying, okay, how much of our, our revenue growth is coming from customers who are who had the experience and they liked it so much they're coming back and buying more? That's net revenue retention. And then refer their friends. How many of your new customers are coming in primarily because they heard good things from friends and colleagues? Those are the basis of earned growth. And, and people don't measure it today. You, you, would, you know, I wrote the book over a year ago. Um, I'll bet you there's a few dozen companies out there scratching their head and figuring out big companies who, boy, this is hard. I, you know, the way our accounting systems work today, it's not easy. I have to work at this. And, and that should be a signal. How screwed up is your business measurement process if you can't even tell me what percentage of your growth is coming from the, the miraculous flywheel and how, and how much is being bought through crazy expensive sales and marketing gimmicks that tend to bring in customers that have a negative net present value when you actually do the math right. And this, you know, you're throwing sand in the air and confusing everything and then listening. Well, let's listen more. Of course, listening is good, but let's listen for wins and listen for losses mm. and not just listen to any customer that happens to uh, be bored enough that they respond to a survey. Mm. So one of the things that I want to come back to that you said was it's really important that we, we, 
um, not just close the feedback loop for uh, customers that have maybe detractors or there's some issue, but those that love us, those that have referred us, um, we need to understand and thank them, understand you know what they love about us and thank them for, for really understand what it is they love about us and appreciate, acknowledge them. Yeah, and give them more tools to refer us more effectively. <laughs> so there, there's this whole missing, the standard business thinking is, uh, I think I, it's, I call it financial capitalism. It, it is the way I grow is to get more salespeople and make them more effective and spend on marketing and advertising and pricing and promotion gimmicks. I mean, that's how you grow. Um, that mindset is, is dead wrong. The way you grow is to delight more customers so, and help them refer friends. Um, it, being remarkable in a way that makes people want to come back for more and bring their friends is the, the core of true earned growth, profitable growth, sustainable growth. And for heaven's sakes, measure that, but also intervene when you see it happen and close the loop and probe for root causes and understand how, you know, run experiments learn. And right now we don't even, most companies have no clue which of their new customers are coming in based on referrals and which ones are coming in based on all the marketing gimmicks and uh, gamesmanship out there. Yeah. And, and I heard you talk on, on Rob Markey's uh, net promoter system podcast. There's a plug for Rob. Um, uh, it's a great podcast. I, I think CX people who don't listen to that are nuts. Yeah, no, it's fantastic uh, and very thoughtful and, and insightful. And you were on it. You were on it and um, you were talking. Well, I was wanted in two ways. You know, Rob has been my co-pilot for many, many years. So <laughs> a lot of the stuff that he says, it, it was stuff that we talked about a long time ago. So I, I like ripples in the pond. I feel really good about what Rob's uh, talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so you were on that on that podcast, and you were talking about um, companies that that get it right and companies that don't. And so, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about what makes a great company. Uh, great companies love their customers. The leaders inspire their teams of employees to to love customers. It's because it's the right thing to do. It makes the world a better place. And if you have systems to recognize and reward the teams and the people who do it, they got to feel good about themselves. What really inspires employees is doing things that they're proud of, making the world better. And, you know, loving customers in a way that is made the, it so enriches their lives that they refer it to a friend. That's the highest compliment that there is. And, and you got to have a, that's at the core of greatness. Yeah. And, and also in the in the podcast there, and I'll, I'll bring it up here, is that um, there's a gap right now. Right. And, and I know I experienced that um, where I was, is that we don't know. And I'm using the, the general term. We we don't know where our customers come from. And you just said that. But erecting gates to track and measure how client to client referrals or customer to customer referrals come in is a gap I see that the, I, I think people are saying either one, I don't know where to start. Um, it feels like a really heavy, heavy lift. It's overwhelming. And, 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 and is the juice worth the squeeze? I think the answer is yes. But could you say more about that? Is, is that what you're hearing also is that don't know where I'm overwhelmed, don't know where to start? 
in the early days of Net Promoter, the big constraint was, you know, getting SurveyMonkey or some generic survey thing going and which customers and when and who should the responses go to, that was getting in the way of progress. It was hard. And, and then companies like, like Qualtrics and Medallia and InMoment and others developed technology platforms that really made it easy and, and, and uh, made it the analysis automatic, very sophisticated support of, of business processes. So those guys really helped launch the Net Promoter uh, revolution. What is, I think, on the pioneering edge today and what, what will get us deeper into understanding which customers are coming on referral and why and so forth, it, it, there's another technology revolution required. And uh, and one of the companies I'm working most closely with is is I hope is the is the next Qualtrics or Medallia of of that of the referral movement. It's called Mention Me. Mention Me is a tech platform that's making it really easy to get customers to want to do a referral through the platform, not through a bribe, but by appropriate recognition, and they know that they're the person they refer will get a warm welcome uh, appropriately, and. As that gets more frictionless, then you finally got a tech platform that lets you start tracking and learning and and uh, and improving the, the 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 customer love flywheel. Yeah. So I just want to I just want to um, one of the things I like to do is pull out the gems when I hear guests saying things, just so we can double click on it. Um, and one of the gems there was just the importance of um, of of li- of of tracking those customers that are referring other customers that love us and it's great that mention me is a is a way that facilitates doing that but the ability to to know that you're doing the kind because if the goal is to create this love flywheel you have to know if you're successful or not if referrals are the center of the universe yeah. then you better have a telescope that lets you see <laughs> the referral process in action and 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 dig into it and and probe for root causes and and test out hypotheses. Um, you know the reason I met I mentioned me is the only company in the world that I know of where referrals is everything. All the other referral um, oh gizmos and uh, the simple well give a, you know bribe a customer kinds of things. Yeah. Those are those are martech companies that do 20 different things and and this this little uh uh add-on is is part of the 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 whole shtick. That doesn't get you there. It, you know, referral is everything. It really takes hard work to know well how much could you reward a uh a referring customer without making it a bribe? Should it be a donation to a charity? Should it just be recognition? Should it be sort of linked into the your loyalty rewards program? But there's there's something that's socially right that makes it worthwhile. And then how do you make it a frictionless process that's transparent to everybody? There's no gaming here. And then what do you do that's special for that referred customer that welcomes them in? And, you know, that's a science. And it's not, it's not just a uh, one little simple process that you can add on to all your other martech uh technology yeah yeah um so so we are so the other thing i wanted to double click on was the per the this because you said it you said it well but you said it i, I want to make sure people get this is, is purchasing customers versus earning customers 
right? So this uh, in traditional thinking is so. Do do you tell do you tell companies that uh, they don't need to do traditional marketing, whether it's you know social media advertising, other advertising, um, discounted rates to have people come on board? Because I know in banking, which is the world I came from, uh, we we would, and I'm just going to say this. I know what you're going to say we would have some sort of promotion, whether it was a lower rate to open or better rate to open, you know, on the other side, lower rate for a loan or better rate for a, to open a checking account or get a CD or something. And you would get a slew of customers come in and sometimes the switching costs, I guess, were, were high enough where they wouldn't leave um, and they'd stay for a while. What do you, what would you say to a, an executive of, let's say a wealth management or insurance company or even a, a credit union who was, who was, had a budget right now they're looking at a budget for advertising and marketing and traditional marketing uh take take two groups of customers as uh as test groups one you know came in on referral uh either because you asked them or you went back you know you you have to get that identified and then watch their behaviors and their economics over the next uh few years if possible, but a few periods if, if you want to make quick decisions. And then get a group that came in on the latest teaser rate or or you bought uh, a bunch of Facebook ad space or, or Google and search. Um, and, and just watch the behavior. How much do they buy? How much repeat? How much growth? At what price point? How many referrals do those they generate? Just do the math. And what many companies find out is, oh my goodness, the only customers that have a positive net present value who are actually creating value for my shareholders are coming in on referral and all this other stuff. It, um, yeah, you get a few good customers out of it, but you, you, you get an anchor of noisy, um, demanding, price-sensitive, disloyal churners mm -hmm. that destroy the economics of the business and destroys your service system's ability to actually deliver great service regularly. Because, um, you know, if you got customers who really aren't relationship people at all, and they're demanding and jerking you around, and they only care about a special price, and, you know, they're in the phone queue, <laughs> screwing up the service levels, and probably um, demotivating your, your service staff. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're building a business on referrals, you know, when somebody's unhappy, this is a disaster. You know, we've got to fix this. You can't afford to have all hands on deck mentality if you've got all these turners that you sucked in through the marketing gimmick uh, fountain. Well, you, you did a really good and eloquent job of describing that because I, I think some of that gets lost in the mix is, is when somebody calls up or a frontline person ends up dealing with an unhappy customer, those complaints, you know, is a complaint tracking system if you're in certain industries you have you're you required to track complaints um and, and that just adds cost that my guess is most companies aren't even tracking i agree it is um rob and i were, were chat rob mark and i were chatting the other day about what what's the biggest waste that you see in business today and uh we both agree it is the uh the waste of bringing in lousy customers and having them screw up your system and screwing up service for everybody else and demotivating your workforce. So that's the major inefficiency that I think businesses, if they could clean that out, would operate at a whole different level of uh, uh, profitability. And, and it's one of the reasons, you know, on Winning on Purpose, we show 
the companies who have the highest NPS mm -hmm. measured correctly, mm -hmm. uh, NPS Prism, the Bain uh, subsidiary that really measures NPS scientific rigor like it were a medical research, double blind, you know, large panels, correctly structured. The highest NPS companies consistently are the ones delivering great returns to their shareholders. We look at a number of industries and, and not only is do the top NPS companies win for their investors, it's almost a perfect line. The guys with the worst NPS deliver the worst results for their investors and the guys with the best are knocking out of the park. You know, the Costco's, the Apple's, the, the people who you can't really, or Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Chick-fil-A, why are they so profitable? If you apply traditional financial capitalist mindset, you can come up with all sorts of reasons, but they're not the core root cause. The root cause is they are just running this incredibly efficient customer machine that only invests in the kind of customers they can turn into promoters who are the true assets of the business. They come back for more and refer their friends. Yeah. Um, speaking of investments and performance of companies over time, I think in the book you, you developed this index called the Fred Z. Um, so yeah, I gave, I thought that was pretty generous. I, I invest in companies with the highest NPS. Why? Because it's a signal when you measure NPS correctly with the highest NPS in an industry means they have a customer love flywheel that's running at a much more efficient and effective rate. And they're gonna generate more cash than the world recognizes because the world is now still seen through investors who are, you know, they're blinded by accountants lenses or, or it's a financial capitalist viewpoint, classic reported uh, earnings. And, and so by investing in the NPS winners, I can see the future. And for me, it, it helped me more than triple the stock market over the last decade. So, you know, people notice that I fly private. Why? Because Bain paid me so much? No, I have, I've been a Bain fellow. It's sort of a research position for 25 years. Um, most people listening to this make more money. The, the, no, my upside has been investing behind my ideas in companies who have this flywheel humming and, and are loving customers better than anyone else. And it's made me wealthy. Um, I shared that in the book. It's open to everybody. But I've, I'm shocked that there aren't more people knocking on the door saying, how do you, you know, who has the highest NPS and how do we get this right? But I think the world is still blinded by this accounting mindset, financial capitalist mindset. They learned it in business school. They read about it in Fortune and Forbes or the Wall Street Journal. They can't see the truth that I tried to communicate and winning on purpose. All right. So, so people listening to the Delighted Customers podcast, um, this is a bonus getting investment <laughs> advice here. But you didn't just say outperformed the market by 10 or 15 percent over the last 10 years. No, I crushed it. There is no private equity. There, there is no hedge. Excuse, let me get it technically right, as I say in the book. No mutual fund or ETF tracked by Morningstar matched my performance over the last decade. And, and that's impressive. I think you referenced the Vanguard index, which you, you blew away. Well, that's the true uh, sort of hurdle rate. Yeah. I think a lot of people think, oh, I, you know, I made a 10% return on investment. Is that good or bad? Well, it depends on what the stock market did over that same period. If the Vanguard total index 
which takes all your, your risk and diversifies it across the, the whole set of companies. Um, you know, unless you, you beat the, the Vanguard index, you were, you lost money in a, in a true economic sense. You, you took all this extra risk of one company or a few company bet and you didn't even match the, uh, the, the nearly riskless index. Yeah. So, so we're talking about these companies and I want to talk about one that um, has been in the news a lot lately uh, that has been lauded over the last uh, decade or so at Southwest Airlines. Um, I heard a statistics that a statistic that um, it, it, I think it was 0.0004 was the amount of time it took for their trust to erode compared to the number of years they had earned trust with their customers. Is I, obviously a attention-getting statistics, but what would you say? Um, you know, this is a beloved company. They have love in their in their branding. Um, what happened there and does that uh, disprove the, uh, what would you say to someone who says, well, that, that just disproves the, the theory that, you know, you, you can spend all this time loving customers, but um, ultimately every company is susceptible. Oh, I think if one of the other airlines had that happen to them, they'd be bankrupt right now. Um, people are giving Southwest a second chance. Now, whether they respond effectively enough to earn back complete trust, you know, just watch net, net promoter scores versus the competitors. They Delta, I just noticed is giving away free Wi-Fi. Um, so the, 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 the competitors are always setting a higher, you know, trying to set a higher standard. Southwest has to keep outperforming the competition. And if they do, they'll continue to, uh, to crush them. As I showed in the book, their, their stock returns. Uh, or maybe it wasn't in the book. It should have been. They they crushed the market. You know, they're the leaders. Uh, do, will they? Will companies screw up and and maybe go go away someday because they really they they just either got too big or their culture was, you know, they're too too proud and they think they don't have to learn anymore. Um, yeah, the, the the world is littered with companies who were outstanding in the top of the game and then uh, crashed and burned. I, I go through, uh, you know, Jim Collins wrote this outstanding book, Good to Great. Yeah. He based it on 11 companies that, that he thought were great because their financials were great. They'd approved their financial results. Um, and then you look at them over the 10 years after he wrote the book, they were horrible. They were, you know, bankruptcies, embarrassing, billions of dollars in fines, people going to jail. These were great companies. The, the trend is, you know, you get good and then you collapse. These long, these NPS leaders, they tend to have it because it's a culture of love and they're humble. Uh, the test will be, of course, will they figure out how to make sure their customers feel the love and forget about the pain that, uh, you know, life is full of pain. It's, it's, it's not perfect. You know, I made a mistake but I fix them faster and I am always innovating to make your life better. Those are the kind of companies that I'll stick with. Yeah. Yeah. And in this case, because it may come up for other companies, um, I don't know if this is true, but I, I read this somewhere theoretically from a Southwest longtime employee as an explanation for what happened there. And, and the explanation was in a snapshot, um, there was, there was a slow leak that was happening for, two or three decades and employees and others were, you know, voicing about 
uh, you know, infrastructure that was stagnant, old, didn't keep up and was smoking basically to try and keep up with. And it was ignored. Um, so, you know, w- what would you say? Would you would you say I mean, for me as a CX practitioner, I would say, you know, we, we've got to think about you know, the, the delivery system in which we deliver the experience to our customers, all aspects of it need to be safe and sound and functioning in order to do that. And, and our ability to hear and listen uh, is all part of that. It's all part of the customer experience. What would you say? Of course it is, uh, you know, but it's a really complicated world. You know, there's wars in the Ukraine, there's people dropping bombs, there's, there's epidemics. It's, you gotta respond to these unforeseen challenges and and do it with customer love as your foremost objective function um and when you do that you set yourself apart from the competition you know southwest doesn't charge for luggage they don't gouge for change fees i canceled the flight you get your money back right away they are one of the very few that really treat you right um the, the other guys are doing things like, oh, we're getting rid of all human beings in our service centers. You, you, you get to deal with uh, um, bots and, and algorithms, but you'll never teach, talk to a human. You go, I'm spending hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to take my family on a flight. And, and you can't even build in an ability for me to communicate with a human when something complex comes up. You know, it's, that's not loving. That's, I see a way to make a buck in the short term if the world doesn't change rapidly. Uh, and so those are the companies that I'd be skeptical about. Well, spe- speaking of bots, and that was a great, I think you're talking about Frontier, and that's a great example. Uh, we'll see what, what, what the future holds for, for- I will never fly on an airline that does not say I have humans will help solve your problem. And, and that's that's a great lead into the this question about the digital world that we're entering in. and, and people who would say, well, what role does NPS have in the digital world? We're going to AI and everything's automated and we have bots. What would you say to them when they say NPS is not as important? They don't get it. They don't see that the, uh, that the customer flywheel uh, is at the center of, of financial prosperity. Uh, the AI applications I see today are to slash costs or sell customers stuff they don't really need. It's, it's not designed to delight customers. It's, it's designed to delight shareholders in the short term. Um, and, and so I, I'm a huge skeptic. I think it's powerful. Machine learning is awesome. Just apply it with customer love as what it's trying to learn how to do well. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so let me ask you, can we apply NPS to find success in our own lives. Yeah, I think, you know, the whole model around NPS is the, the goal of a, a business should be to enrich the lives of its uh, customers. And, and the only way to do that is to have a leadership team who inspires its team members his, to, to love customers and, and, and have systems that recognize and reward that. So, you know, the, the power and energy is partly the economic success of the system, but also sort of the moral energy and, and, and inspiration that, that, it, uh, that, that it creates. Meaningful jobs where I make people's lives better. Most employees, that's, that's what they want. So in, in just general life, yeah, I think 
if you sort of think about, I want to invest in relationships where I can make that my partner happy, where I can enrich their life. And, and, and my folk, I'm dealing with the kind of people and where, when that happens, instead of them taking and, and abusing that uh, and seeing how much they can get away with the kind of most good people, they want relationships and balance. So when they experience someone enriching their life, that they are looking for ways to do that for you. And that is, I think, the, the way you build a successful life. I give some advice in the last chapter to my grandchildren, say this only works when you hang around with good people. And, you know, there's some percentage of the population, I don't know if it's 1% or 10%, but they're, they're takers, some of them are evil, but, but they're just selfish takers who are out to get what they can, you know what, get them out of your life. Uh, and then with the rest of the people, dedicate yourself to making them happier and, and good things happen. Yeah. I, I so agree with you about uh, life being short. And those of us who either ourselves or family members have had to deal with uh, serious illness or chronic illness, um, you know, you start to get a different perspective on life. Uh, and I know you should, you, we started off talking about your, your cancer and, um, you know, thankfully we talked before, uh, we went on the air that you're doing well and we're grateful for that. Um, what, what, um, I guess what, how have, has your thinking evolved about business in general and what would you tell your, yourself 30 years ago? What would you tell your, your 30 year younger self? Um, I wasn't nearly aware as aware that uh, doing the right thing had such positive economic consequences mm. uh, and building communities that help people do the right thing and protect them from being abused by the takers and the, the, the nasty uh, players that when you build an organization with that at its core, it, it can be stunningly successful both economically and, and uh, I mean, let's say spiritually, it, it is making this world better. Um, whether it's Apple, um, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Costco, I think Bain & Company probably deserves to be considered in that set. They're, these firms really make uh, our, our uh, world better. And what else would I say? You know, when, you, when you're young and you take, you take uh, psychology and learn about Freud and there's all this, you know, the, the whole paradigm is about whether you was, were in love with your mother when you were little. And you, you know what? There's a guy named Victor Frankl who was Freud's uh, uh, contemporary, uh, lived through the concentration camps, Nazi concentration camps. And he came up with a philosophy that makes so much more sense than Freud. I don't know why more. He said, you know, life is tough. There's suffering. It, the, 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 go the goal is to help others through that and set a role model yourself of how to suffer with dignity. <laughs> that, that It's true. And, you know, you get old, bad things happen, and everyone sort of pretends that it doesn't. You have such potential to make people's lives better because it is tough out there. Everyone's got problems and concerns and fears. And, you know, if you just start thinking about my job is to make it a little better for everybody else. That is a wonderful life philosophy. And I think business done correctly is actually the best enterprise institution. It's better than charities. It's better than governments. It's better. You name it. A well-run business is 
not only making life better for employees, customers, investors, it's paying all the taxes that support uh, all the donations and charity, you know, the, the nonprofit stuff. So people should have a little more appreciation for the miraculous uh, power, positive power of a well-run uh, enterprise. Well, well said, and I think I think that's part of the reason I do what I what I do as well is is I believe the customer experience and the work that we do in this area makes a difference in the lives of, of people, and it's it's really easy to to under understate the amount of interactions we have on a daily basis. If you're an adult, you know that there's interactions you have with an insurance company, a medical. A, a government agency, a, a retailer, an online retail. I mean, and if you have a lousy experience, it, it affects, it certainly affects your your feeling, your demeanor, but it affects the people around you, right? So, oh yeah, it's a, it's a lot of ripple effects out there. And, and uh, I agree with you. And I love, I love your, your focus in this book on the golden rule. Yeah, because so few people understand it. They think it's trivial or... Um, dismiss it as relevant for for business success. Uh, I think it's at the core of business success when you understand it deeply. Um, I hope people read that chapter. It, uh, I mean, it takes a little bit of a courage for a uh, someone like me. And I'm not a philosopher. I, I didn't. I don't have a PhD in in religion. But I think until you understand this notion of love thy neighbor and the challenges and how it's not just about you and your neighbor, but actually your neighborhood and, and the communities that nest you that relationship. The, that's, that is, a, I, I hope in the, in the reading discussion groups that Winning on Purpose inspires, I hope people spend a lot of time on that chapter. And, and I, th- I thank you for doing that. I thank you for your vulnerability um, in, in sharing right at the outset about your personal challenges. I, I, could, I could see and feel in, in this book just uh, just to use the word spiritual, a, a higher sense of spirituality and um, interconnectedness in, in this world. And, you know, I, I, I just so appreciate that about, about the work that you've done. Well, that's very kind of you. I hope more people read the book and, uh, and learn from it. Well, well, we'll have all that information in the show notes uh, so people can have access to it. And Fred, I, I just, there's so much to unpack here. I just want to thank you so much for being on the Delighted Customers podcast and uh, blessing us. Thank you. And, you know, have people go to LinkedIn and read my uh, customer obsession newsletter. It, it is the, the leading edge of what will probably be in future books uh, on, on these subjects. And referrals is going to be a, a central part of it. Okay. okay. So is that the best way for pe- people want to reach you? Yeah, it's a, it's a good, simple way is just go on LinkedIn and you can find all the connections. Excellent. Fred, thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'd like to ask you a favor. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on the show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com. 
Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.